Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, open your word to us. Cause us to see wonderful things. Teach us, instruct us, build us up in the faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the gospel accounts, the four gospels, there are over 50 references that Jesus made to his death and or his resurrection. He mentioned it a number of times. And yet, no one seemed to be ready. And then the angel shows up when the women come to the tomb. And if he wasn't an angel, you might think he was being a bit passive-aggressive or getting a dig in when he said, He has risen as He said. In fact, we could apply a tone there. If he wasn't an angel, but because he's an angel, we know that it was the best of intentions. It was a loving reminder, correction, rebuke, gently made reminding the women they should have known. Jesus had said this. I mean, we count 50. Certainly there's some overlap among the four Gospels, but clearly there are many times that weren't recorded as well. They clearly should have known. And yet, let's not be too hard on the women, because where were the men? They didn't come to the tomb. They were holed up behind a locked door for fear of arrest because they thought they would be caught. They weren't anticipating the resurrection either. But as he said, Jesus had risen and everything had changed. Sin was conquered, death was defeated, and the kingdom was now moving forward in a way that none of his followers could have even imagined. God's plan of redemption, his plan to put on display his glorious love and grace, was now in full effect. The world was soon going to hear the message that this was the Son of God, and as He said, so it went. The words of Jesus were and are true and powerful. In fact, He promised His disciples when He left, I'm not going to leave you alone. The Father and I are sending one who is a comforter, a helper, a counselor, to do many things, one of which was remind you all that I taught you. All of those words, powerful, true, were and are the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives now, reminding us of all that Jesus said. 
And of course, so much more. In fact, John finishes his gospel with these words. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Many things that we today don't have any knowledge of that Jesus did that could not be contained. The world could not contain all the books if everything were written down. Here's what I want us to consider today from this text in Matthew. I want us to consider that not only Jesus rose from the dead, as he said, but also what that means about all that he said everywhere else. In other words, this is my claim, because Jesus rose from the dead, it validated everything he said. It emphasized, it verified, it shows us that it is true and reliable, that we should not only believe in its truth, but that we should rest in the truth of the words of Christ. So, beginning in verse 1. The women, after the crucifixion, there was a rush. It was Friday. Sabbath was coming at sundown. There was a need to prepare the body for burial. And when the two women came this morning, Sunday morning, to the tomb, they were coming not to find a risen Jesus, but to actually anoint the body, the dead body. Of Jesus. They weren't looking for the risen Christ. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had asked for permission to take the body down, to put it in a tomb. They had, in haste, prepared the body with wrappings and mixture of aloe and myrrh. But the women desired to bring their own anointing. And although Matthew's text doesn't tell us, Mark's does, that they actually got all that they needed, probably Saturday night after the end of Sabbath, if you've ever been in Israel on a Saturday, you know that everything shuts down sundown on Friday. And then everything's quiet on Saturday until sundown. And then it's just crazy because everything opens up. And all the shopping is open. Everything like in our world that begins to slow down on Saturday evening speeds up. And so this is what they would have done. They would have gone out. They would have shopped. They would have gotten everything they needed. But waiting for sunrise to go to the tomb then and bring this anointing. You imagine what their thoughts were like going to the tomb. There was awareness that the tomb had a rock that had been rolled, a stone that had been rolled in front of it. They were aware of that. Mark 16, 3, uh, he captures the question between the two of them, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So they went knowing that there was a, there was a stone in front of the door and not knowing what would, how they would get inside, but they went. And then, of course, as soon as they arrive, all those concerns just disappear. Why? Well, there's an earthquake. And earthquakes are not something, at least in this part of our country, that we're super familiar with. Uh, maybe you've lived somewhere else where you've experienced them, but they will get your attention. Earthquakes have a way of making you feel very, very out of control. And if that wasn't enough, that there was an earthquake, all of a sudden now there's an angel. And verse 2 we read, Behold, there was an earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. When we see accounts of angels appearing in Scripture, they are never cute, chubby, smirking creatures flittering about. And if you ever wonder about that, this is another text that verifies that is not the case. Verse 3 describes the angel. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. I think the writers run out of words, human words, to capture what they're seeing in these creatures. 
And if there's any doubt in our mind that this wasn't a scary experience, what happens to the guards? They become like dead men. Either they're paralyzed in fear. You remember the old movies when anything scary happened and people froze in fear? Uh, If you've ever been really scared, that can happen. You have to be pretty scared for it to happen. Or they could have just fainted. It says they were like dead men. Maybe they just passed out in fear. But either way, this was a scary experience. But notice the women remain alert. They're ready now to listen. Any concerns that they had about their plans, about how they were going to get in, and all of this overshadowed by this incredible appearance. And now the angel has their attention. Angels are messengers. That's their job. They come to bring messages from God. And he clearly has their attention. So what does the angel say? The first thing he says are words of comfort. Don't be afraid. He said, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. The words, do not be afraid, were common greetings given by angels because they were scary. They made you afraid. And so that's why in so many instances, the first thing we see angels saying is, don't be afraid. They're fearsome. You think again of the earthquake and the fear that it caused. If you've ever experienced it, you know what this is like. And then the next thing the angel says proves that he is one who was sent by God because he reveals what the intention of the women was. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. To be told the intentions of your heart will get you Uh, will get your attention. To be told the intentions of your heart will wake you up because who knows the intentions of your heart besides yourself? Well, God knows. And so clearly this is someone sent by God. As if the women needed any more help in focusing their attention on the messenger, their eyes and ears are now clearly open to what he has to say. And here is now his message. He is not here for he has risen as he said. The body hadn't been stolen They hadn't come to the wrong tomb. Jesus had risen from the grave just as he had told his followers he would so many times. All doubt now is gone as the women clearly know what's happened. Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is no longer dead. It starts to click. The words of Jesus are true and trustworthy. Everything he said, including this stuff about the resurrection, it's true. It's true. It hits them. All that he has promised will come true, and he would do, and we would do well, rather, to listen to all that he has to say. And so the angel then invites the women. He says, come, see the place where he lay. There are a number of God's gracious gifts given in this text. This is one of them. Not just a message of, here, this is what you're supposed to do. But the angel invites them in to look inside the tomb. Look, he's not here. You know, as if rolling the stone away wasn't a big enough deal. He sits on it kind of in a, in a position of triumph. Now come in and look. The grave clothes are there. The tomb is empty. The body is gone. And then in verse 7, the angel gives these instructions. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. There are four imperatives in this statement that he gives to the angels. Come, see, go, and tell. Does that sound familiar? Come, see, go, tell. It's the gospel. That's what the gospel call is to us. To come to see who Christ is 
and to go and to tell, for the, give the reason for the hope that we have within us. To come and to see means that we are confronted with who we are as we stand before Christ. We're confronted with our own sin. We're confronted with our own unworthiness. But we're also confronted with the reality of His great salvation. We either stand under His judgment or we humbly receive His grace by faith. This is what it means to come and to see Christ. To either reject Him and stand before Him in judgment or to receive His grace by faith. Earlier in His ministry, Jesus had said, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. The rest that is ours is in the forgiveness of our sins by trusting in Christ. The turmoil, the guilt the shame, the regret, all that we experience as the result of our sin is in Christ forgiven and we find rest for our souls. The the angel adds then, go and tell, which again sounds very familiar, right? The Great Commission, go and tell, tell others. Let the disciples know in this case what he would later tell the disciples, do this to everybody. Among all nations, among all people, go and tell the message. And just like these women on the first Easter morning, we are to be witnesses to the hope that is found within us of all that we have found in Christ. The ladies, interestingly enough, were the first commissioned to do so. And so having seen and been made witnesses, therefore, of the resurrection, the women now respond in obedience. In verse 8, we read that the women departed quickly with fear and great joy running to tell the disciples. They didn't walk fast. They didn't, you know, pass go, collect 200, stop at McDonald's for breakfast. They were in a hurry. They were on a mission. They were going to tell the disciples. Interestingly, fear and joy are listed here together. Those are two things we don't typically put together. But we can certainly understand why the women felt both. Joy in the sense that Jesus was no longer dead. But fear in the fact that you had just experienced an earthquake, an angel, and two Roman guards passing out in front of you. I mean, you can understand why there was this juxtaposition. And yet we see other places in Scripture where fear and joy go together. In Psalm 2, verse 11, we read, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Maybe a verse you memorized as a child. Maybe a verse that you remember incorporated into a song. What's interesting is the verse after that. After verse 11 in Psalm 2, after the psalmist writes, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, in verse 12 he writes, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The Son, the one who would come, the one who the psalmist foresaw but certainly didn't know all that would be entailed in this coming, is the one before whom we have the opportunity to reject and receive judgment or fall on His mercy and receive His grace in faith. When Jesus invites us, come to me all who are weary and find rest, He is inviting us to take refuge in Him. Exactly what the psalmist wrote. The women then are empowered for this incredible task now, to be the first witnesses. And so they ran with eagerness. 
And then they have this incredible encounter on the way. On their way, we read in verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Good morning. Um, as if this wasn't, uh, you know, uh, they hadn't had enough surprises to get their heart pumping at this point. Now, again, any doubt that's crept back in is now completely erased. Standing before them in the flesh is the risen Christ. And if there's any doubt on our part as readers as to whether Jesus rose bodily in the flesh, we now see that they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. This was not an illusion. This was not a dream. The two Marys met the risen Savior in the flesh, taking hold of his feet and worshiping him. They're the first to see. They're the first to lay hold of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus then gives words of comfort. Again, don't be afraid. The first words that the angel spoke. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is another example of just grace upon grace that we see in this text. I mean, it's one thing for the women to hear the message, to see the empty tomb, to be shown, this is really true, this really happened. Now, on the way, Jesus meets them. They get to touch Him, see Him, they worship Him. But now, the other guys who are still holed up in the room, locked up behind doors the ones who were scattered, the ones who ran, including Peter, who denied him not once but three times, he calls them what? Brothers. Brothers. He knew. He knew where they were. Jesus is full of grace and mercy toward us all, even when we fail, even when we fall, even when we forget his words to us. He stands with an everlasting love toward all who take refuge in him. So here's what I want us to to leave with today. As we consider the resurrection of our Savior, I want us to remember not only that He said, I will rise again, but all of His other words to us. Because the resurrection confirms and affirms and attests to the veracity of His words, the reliability of His words. We can know because He rose from the dead that His words are true and faithful. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Every one of us faces this claim. And as I've said over and over, we either receive by faith the free gift offered to us in the gospel or we stand before Him in judgment. Come to Jesus and find rest and forgiveness. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How many of us forget that from Sunday to Sunday? How many of us forget that from Sunday morning to Sunday afternoon? <laughs> because as soon as we leave the worship service or we leave time that we spend in the Word individually, we, we're bombarded with the fact that this world is a mess. We, we don't have to look far to discover that this world is a mess. And it's not just the world around us, it's the world within us. We're a mess. We're a part of the problem. And we don't have peace apart from Christ. And yet he says, I have overcome this world. Fear, anxiety, doubt, depression, loneliness, physical pain, all of those things, we could add to that list. 
And Jesus says, I have a peace that passes all understanding. Come to him and find your refuge. In Hebrews 13, we're reminded of this promise. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How many of us need to hear that today? Feeling the the difficulties of just providing, looking for provision in this world. What's going to happen tomorrow? Is my retirement enough? Do I have enough insurance? Do I have enough health insurance? Are the provisions in place? How am I going to face tomorrow for me, for my family? God is is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He has promised to be with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us, and we don't have to fear anything, including anyone or what they can do to us because we have a resurrected Savior. There's a hope that's beyond this world. We don't have all the answers in this world. But He is the answer beyond this world for all who take refuge in Him. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This incredible promise is our hope that no one or nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can snatch us from His hand. Nothing, including you, if you are trusting in Christ, cannot break the covenant hold that He has on your life. You can't out His grace. And finally, hear these words of Jesus as recorded in Revelation 21. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, as he said, he did. And because he did, we can trust all of his words, that his words are indeed faithful and true, that his words stand forever. When he said, it is done, or as he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant exactly that. We're not adding to anything. There's no responsibility of us doing our part. We fall completely on the mercy of Christ. He is making all things new, he says. And he offers forgiveness by grace without payment from you and from me. It is the free gift of grace. The gospel is free because Jesus is alive. Come to the the, the King, to Jesus, risen and exalted, and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Father, cause us to see the beauty of the risen Savior. Cause our hearts to capture what it means that Jesus is alive. For our lives right here, right now, in these moments, with what we have on our plates, cause us to see all that is for us in Christ. That there is nothing that can separate us from your love that there is nothing that can snatch us from your hand, that indeed you are making all things new. All of the brokenness, all of the the junk from our own sin, from the sins of others, 
is going to be redeemed. It is going to be outshadowed. We can't imagine the glory that we will see one day causing all of these pains and sufferings and hurts to fade. May that reality be ours. May we see it and believe it and hold on to it because Jesus is alive. Cause us to see all that is ours because of our risen King, we pray in His name. Amen.